Trauma happens, and it's time for us to begin addressing it with the responsibility it deserves. Join Will Reason and I for a deep discussion that will help you understand the truth about trauma work. In this episode, you'll learn what trauma really is and how it is shaped. You'll learn the difference between being trauma-aware, trauma-informed, and trauma-trained, You'll learn the importance of understanding your scope of practice as a coach, facilitator, or practitioner. You'll learn the difference between being with your emotions and expressing your emotions and why trauma work is so important in these times. Will is a somatic coach, somatic experiencing practitioner, trauma educator, and co-founder of Trauma and Somatics, a company that teaches trauma-informed care and somatic techniques to helping professionals. Will Reason is a leading expert in the field of coaching, personal development, trauma and somatics, with a unique approach that combines therapeutic somatic practices with traditional coaching methods. His formative somatics approach is designed to help individuals tap into their inner wisdom and intuition in order to achieve greater self-awareness, happiness, and success. At the core of Will's approach is the belief that the body holds important information and wisdom that is often overlooked or ignored in traditional coaching methods. He argues that our physical sensations and emotions can provide valuable insights into our thoughts, beliefs, and behaviors, and that by paying attention to them, we can gain a deeper understanding of ourselves and our experiences. Will has been working as a coach for more than nine years. He has worked with hundreds of clients from all walks of life, CEOs, professional athletes, Emmy award-winning producers, global philanthropists, Fortune 500 brand developers, entrepreneurs, artists, teachers, therapists, and so much more. He works with clients around the world via Zoom or phone sessions, sees clients at his home in Austin, Texas, and collaborates on retreats with his mother, Kate Appleton, in Central Virginia. Now it's time for us to unpack the truth about trauma work. Beyond the narrative, underneath the veil of illusion, and deep within your center, therein lies potent truth. Welcome to Potent Truth, where today's leaders, changemakers, and light carriers come together to question the narrative, arrive at potent truth, and lead with sovereignty. What is potency? It's who you are beneath the masks, facades, and protective gear. It's the medicine humanity yearns for, cries out for, prays for, and needs. Your potency is what sets you apart, magnetizes your following, and creates movements. Join me, Ruby Fremont, for weekly guidance, channeled messages, and potent conversations that will take you on a journey of self-discovery. I am here to guide you to a place of unraveling the programming that's been keeping us stuck for generations, unlocking potent truth and expressing it through sovereign leadership. It's time for change. It's time for potent truth. Will, welcome to Potent Truth. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I feel like this has been the conversation that I've been most excited about mm. for the podcast. Mm. 
And uh, for many reasons, one, just because of my personal journey through trauma my entire life and really just now starting to dive deeper into trauma work and what that looks like, both on a personal level and also educating myself through trauma and somatics, which is yours and Ariana's program. Mm -hmm. Um, But also with what we've been seeing in the world, Yeah, you know, 2020 hit and that's a a huge collective trauma, but it felt like, I don't know if you noticed this too, it felt like that collective trauma started to shake things up for a lot of people in a lot of different ways, which then brought forth their trauma to the surface. Yeah. I think it did a good job of bringing it front and center for all of us. Um, The, we can see it in social media and in the media in general, but especially in social media, Mm -hmm. um, the conversation uh, about trauma existing, the existence of it, and then treatment modalities has, has seems to have kind of exploded. Gabor Mate created that that, um, that documentary, mm-hmm. right? And um, there were over 200 and some million people that saw it the first time. Mm-hmm. And they've run it a number of times now. And yeah. So I think we as a species are ready to turn towards this. Mm. And everything that happened really brought it to the surface. We we can't not look at it anymore. Yeah, it's there for us to see, especially everybody being locked in their homes together. Yeah, you don't get a chance to get away from it. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, what do you think really brought that on? And that is a good point. You know, mm-hmm. it's like when you're locked in your home, whether it's in solitude for those who were in solitude, um, or with your families, yeah. it really brings you face to face with the things that were unspoken or the things that we chose not to see, but now we can't help but see it because it's Mm -hmm. so in our face. And the patterns that are still happening Mm -hmm. for many. Yeah. People who were struggling with addiction, they weren't leaving the home and the environment, they were there in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also found in the entrepreneurial space, Mm -hmm. a lot of things exploding because there's the fear of like, oh shit, the world is changing. And now my business isn't running as it used to. But to me, entrepreneurship is really an extension of personal development. And so it brought a lot of people shit out and saw a lot of projecting happening in the social media landscape and a lot of polarization, Mm -hmm. um, which is still occurring. A lot of blaming, shaming, the rise of cancel culture. Yeah, that's gotten real bad. It's gotten horrific. I've heard of um, my friend's kids being suspended from school for things that, I mean, if it happened in our era, you would never get suspended. It would be a conversation. I know. I know. Yeah, it's it's kind of scary. I mean, to consider bringing a child into the world with the way things are right now. Um, or raising children with the way things are right now. I don't currently have children, but I mean, just even when I think about it, I think, gosh, it was not that way when we were younger. And our parents said the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and yet to the degree that it's changed is significant mm-hmm. in comparison. Yeah. Uh, the rise of digital technology mm-hmm. has made that <sighs> yeah. I just a dangerous space for children. Yeah. And there seems to be some sense of common decency that's missing these days. Yes. Kindness. Yeah. Kindness and respect. Yeah. 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 
Um, I remember being in school and the, the thing you would be scared about is just the bully in class. Right. You know, but the teacher could intervene. Right. And now we have online bullying. Mm-hmm. We have the bullying that parents never see, never know about, never hear about because mm-hmm. the teachers don't even see it. Yeah. And then we have the bullying from the teachers to the kids because of the cancel culture and the things we're allowed to talk about and things we yeah. can't talk about. Yeah. Um, there's just so many rules now mm-hmm. to navigate this journey as mm-hmm. a human being yeah. that make it so much harder. There really is. And, you know, working in the field of trauma-informed care, um, this and trauma treatment too, myself, it's, I think it's a common misunderstanding that we want to protect people from feeling bad. Mm -hmm. It's not that we want to protect people from feeling bad or from their feelings being hurt. It's that we want to support people to be able to be with their experience of feeling bad Yeah, and to grow their capacity to hold the complexity of life because it is complex and things are going to happen and we're not going to feel good. And how do we get through the not feeling good? Mm-hmm. That It's not avoiding it or stopping it or preventing it from ever happening. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really what do we do when it does and learning the skills necessary to yeah. be in a world that sometimes is threatening. Well, that's the thing is I think too many people, I think there's a lot of complacency in that space of, mm. um, you know, positive vibes only, or let's right. just like manifest our ways into this happy state, mm-hmm. which then has you avoiding anything that doesn't feel quote unquote good, yeah. but we're the ones giving these emotions, the charges like happiness is good and anger is bad. Right. And joy is good and grief is bad. Mm -hmm. And then add the cultural um, upbringings to it. Mm -hmm. Like I was never allowed to feel sad. Right. You know, don't cry. How many people have heard that their entire lives? Don't cry. Don't be Mm -hmm. upset. Yeah. Um, Or don't be angry. And now we're, we're being, people are being taught to protect somebody else from feeling bad. Yes. And to apologize for somebody else feeling bad. I mean, that was happening when we were younger, you know, Tommy apologized to Sally for making her, for hurting her feelings, for making her feel bad. Or Mm -hmm. Sally apologized to Tommy for making him feel bad. And it's like, well, we want to learn responsibility for our actions Mm -hmm. and that they have an impact on other individuals. I think there's a more artful way that we can do that where I'm not responsible for you disliking the words that I use. Right. Right. It, can I be mindful? Absolutely. Can Mm -hmm. I be kind? Absolutely. And that, and it's important for us to learn how to do those things. And if, you know, if I'm accountable for your feelings, oh man, it's a dangerous world because now I've got to preemptively guess what's going to feel good or bad to you. Mm-hmm. And I've got to filter my words based on what you want me to say. Yeah. And that's a dangerous place for us to be culturally. Yeah. And we're finding ourselves in it. And I think that's a byproduct of trauma. Yeah. But we stir the, stir the puddle so to speak and uh-huh. all this stuff comes to the surface to be addressed and i think that's yeah. where we are right now as oh a, we're deep in the a, puddle uh, yep as a species <laughs> <laughs> the puddle is deep mm-hmm. um people are really biting their tongues a lot and treading mm-hmm. in deep water as well as walking on eggshells now with each other which absolutely that doesn't have to be the way that we operate no and what was when you're speaking what was interesting to me is is this topic of impact over intention yes which i have gone around in circles with friends of i've been accused of of doing things in the past 
by people, my peers in personal development, and they'll be like, but it's the impact and not the intention. Or some people saying it's the intention and not the impact. And it's like, well, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Right. I think it's a lot more nuanced than that. It is. Yeah. And that's where we are is in this place where people want to be so uh, like it's black or white, Mm -hmm. blue or red, but there's Mm -hmm. this entire area in the middle that we also get to recognize, acknowledge and play in. Yeah. And that's the nuance of, of trauma. I feel Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. And, um, everybody's affected a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's interesting is the, my journey back into the awareness of trauma. My entire life journey has been with a lot of big T traumas Mm -hmm. and the little T traumas in between big T trauma being like the big, huge traumas that happen Mm -hmm. that people recognize and the little T's that, you know, Oh, that affected me. had an impact. And when I got into personal development and coaching and started on this path of personal development and healing, a lot of that started to dissipate and maybe it was just some little minor little T traumas. But last year I went through a huge trauma with my dog and I was actually not aware conscious of Mm -hmm. the way that it impacted me until months later. And by then the impact had compounded. And that really brought to my intention, the importance of this work. Because here I was now unable to operate effectively, unable Mm. to show up for myself day to day for my clients, unable to operate my my work, which I love. And none of my tools were working. Yeah. And so I decided to, I'd always wanted to do trauma and somatics, Mm -hmm. but I decided to do it at that point because I knew it could help me Mm -hmm. and then it could also help me be better at the work that I do. Mm -hmm. But that was what brought me back into the awareness of trauma Mm -hmm. and how important this work is. Going through it yourself. Yeah, going through it myself again and having the courage to admit to myself, like, wow, that actually had a huge impact on me. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to say with honesty to ourselves, mm-hmm. that was really hard. Yeah. I'm really hurting. Mm-hmm. You know, personal development teaches us techniques for moving beyond. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means that in our cleverness, <laughs> We teach ourselves to disconnect from what's real yeah. in an effort to create something new. Mm-hmm. And being able to create something new, it's really good. It's really useful. And also being able to name and be with what is, is just as important. And yeah. there's that part of it, right? It's like, wow, this is big. This is a real thing. It's really impacting me. Mm-hmm. Okay, where do I need to turn to get the support that I need? Um, oh, there's a way out. And um, what what were some of the things that helped you in what you learned as you dove into this world? Yeah, I think recognizing the impact, yeah. number one. And Good I think part of that, you know, is, is ego because you're I've been in this work for so many years doing this work for so long that like I should be able to get my way out of this. But then oh, recognizing yeah. that. Um, oh, this trauma is actually 
affecting me in different ways than I've been affected in the past. Mm-hmm. All thanks to the work that I have done up until this point in my life. Yeah. Um, but for me, I already had the awareness that trauma is not just mind. That my life's work and my journey has already shown me that. Yeah. And so I went to work on all of it, mm-hmm. mind, body, spirit, mm-hmm. through a lot of body workers that are different types of modalities just mm-hmm. to start moving through some of that impact in my body that's stuck in the soma and my mind, mm-hmm. you know, being able to talk to people, talk to yeah. the right people who will listen. Um and also continuing to just remain connected spiritually mm-hmm. and having that faith that this is also something that I can get through. I just have to yeah. go through it. It's so important to have that tether. Yeah. You know, like that's a good way to say it. It mm-hmm. really is a tether. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I know I can get through this and there's like something greater than me that I can remain connected to. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there was a quote, I was reading a book. Um on reflexes and early childhood development last night before going to bed. And there was a quote from Peter Levine that I read that was captured somewhere in, in the, in that. And he was talking about how the process of healing often comes along, coincides with and like a spiritual awakening of sorts Mm -hmm. that can happen through the process of healing from trauma. Mm. Um, And it, the way that we become different in the process Mm of like meeting our pain and our suffering is actually quite profound. Mm -hmm. And the result of that is actually quite profound because we come out the other side and we're, we're no longer who we were when we went into the experience. Mm -hmm. It's like a ceremony in a way Mm -hmm. you go in and when you come out, you're like, wow, something about me is a bit different now. Um, and it's the same with trauma and the healing process around it. There's um, we change fundamentally in the process, yeah. and I think our our neurology, the way that our our body responds to sensory input, begins to change too, mm-hmm. because there's that memory of sensory sensory input, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I want to get to the basics just to simplify this because I think there's there's just a lot of talk around trauma. Mm-hmm. And it's not all great talk. It's not all like truth Mm -hmm. talk. Uh, There's a lot of bullshit talk, but let's get really, really basic. And let's just talk about what trauma is. Mm -hmm. So people have a good understanding. Well, it's the living memory is what I like to say. But um, I like Gabor's quote a lot. It's trauma comes back as a reaction, Mm. right? It's, it's not what happened to us. It's what happens inside of us as a result of what happened to us. Mm -hmm. Right. So we can think about it. Our body has reflexes to things and trauma is almost like a reflexive response to sensory input. That's similar to the moment when things were too much, Mm -hmm. right? It's anything that's too much or too happens too fast Mm -hmm. for our system to process. Whether that be our nervous system or our body in some way, shape, or form. And that can include our mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it's things that happen that compound over time, like chronic conditions, um, things that impact our development early on in life. Mm-hmm. But the simplest way of thinking about it is that it's the living memory of, of something that's no longer happening, but our body still behaves as though it is. Right. Yeah, I, I really liked when we were talking about it in the trauma and somatics program about thing, and Peter Levine writes about mm-hmm. this a lot, like too much, too fast, too soon. Right. 
because I think back to every trauma that I've experienced and it's always been that and it's Mm -hmm. that overwhelm to the system to the mind to the soma of like whoa wait and and I can't it's like there's a glitch in the matrix and then you get you get stuck in the glitch yeah exactly it's a really good way of putting it you get stuck in the glitch and so much of um, like clinical psychology thinks of thought about it or defined it as something in the mind or a way yes. like, a, like a something to do with the thinking processes and our thinking processes change for sure. But it's like, there's no difference between the mind and the body. The brain and the body is like, they're all in, they're all completely connected, mm-hmm. right? The tissues are respond to environment as a result of the way the brain interprets the signals and so on and so forth. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Anything that overwhelms the body overwhelms the mind and the mind expresses it, right? The way a person's thought processes work is a good reflection of how their body's functioning. Yeah. Well Um, said. It's like, um, the mind body connection is something that I became hyper aware of when I was coming to terms with my addiction back in Mm. 2012 and I hit rock bottom realizing, okay, actually I think I'm an addict. And I started to focus on my body because the thought of going to therapy at that point when you're an addict, I had so much shame. I didn't want to talk to anyone. It's a major one. It's hard, but I knew, but I can go to the gym. You know, I could go to a hot yoga class and just stay silent and try and work through this. Yeah that was when I really understood like the power of the mind body connection that there is one. I remember mm-hmm. I would, I'd never done yoga in my life and here I am going to hot yoga. <laughs> and at the end of class I would lay in Savasana and I would cry Yeah, quietly, but mm-hmm. I would cry. Yeah. And I had never tapped into that part of myself before. And it wasn't that I was making myself cry. It just, came out from the movement and And that's and that's a that and that's i like that distinction that you you're making there it's not that i made myself cry it's that it was coming out Mm -hmm. as a result of some of the movement that you were doing and 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 this is really important for people listening to understand it's and this kind of plays toward to a bigger conversation around our strategies or that we use to help an individual Mm -hmm. as practitioners but when the thing emerges naturally, we want to make space for its emergence to occur mm-hmm. without stimulating it a whole lot more, mm-hmm. right? But there are a lot of strategies and techniques and practices, interventions that their sole purpose is to stimulate that kind of mm-hmm. a response with the assumption that that response equals some kind of healing or resolution. Mm-hmm. And I think the misunderstanding comes from that response sometimes occurring on the journey, Mm. right? So we think, oh, that occurred on the journey. This journey led to somebody feeling better. Ah, If I stimulate that thing, Mm. maybe then I'm going to help healing. But we're misunderstanding the whole arc of the journey. Right. And instead picking out one piece of the arc and trying to lean on that. But what you said was really so important. In the moments when I've been overwhelmed and I've allowed the tears or the emotion, whatever it is to, to move me mm-hmm. instead of me forcing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've gotten my, my mind or my resistance out of the way. Mm-hmm. I felt a different kind of relief on the other side of that than I have when I've stimulated it or I've tried to control it in some yeah. way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, 
I fully agree. Uh, it's like the, the practice of like, for example, I'm a very, I'm very in touch with my emotions. Mm -hmm. My husband's very heady. Mm -hmm. So we operate very differently. So Mm -hmm. for him to access emotions, he, it often, he has to stimulate that to come out of him. And so he can do that through setting a timer, putting on some sad music and like just being with it. And it'll Mm -hmm. stimulate the emotions to come out. Whereas I could lay on my mat do some stretching, go to a tough or go to a tough yoga class or go work out at the gym and do some really hard workout. And all of a sudden something just emerges through me. Um, I think both have their place depending on where, you know, how we hold our emotions. But I do agree in that. I think we're seeing too much Mm -hmm. of the stimulating. Um, I'm a big fan of breath work. This is just one example. Mm -hmm. Huge fan of breath work. I love it. It Mm -hmm. it really supports me. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to understand that there's different forms of breath work, different breath patterns for different things. And there's a lot more emphasis on the activating breath work patterns. I feel for egoic purposes, mm-hmm. but if you have someone coming to a breath work, like a holotropic or something, mm-hmm. a breath work session, and they have been dealing with a lot of trauma and they go through the session, like you could easily be reactivating the trauma and not in a good way. That's right. And, that, and that's the key point there. Not in a good way. I think that that's commonly misunderstood. Ooh, the person is having a really big experience. This is a good thing. It's a release. Maybe. Right. It's a release. Maybe. Or maybe we're just re-triggering the person and it's too much for their system to manage. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's that subtle nuance of how much is enough for that unique individual's body on that day in that unique moment. Mm. Because it changes moment to moment, day to day and person to person. Right. And, and that nuance isn't, it can't be taught in a weekend workshop or in a, you know, a short training it takes time for us to really understand that and i think a a depth of study of the human body Mm -hmm. and the way the different systems function together yeah but if we're not going to go to that depth at least an understanding that it's different for everybody part of our frame around being trauma-informed is understanding the unique complexity of an individual Mm -hmm. and the the differences that exist from one person to another Mm -hmm. and taking that into consideration like "Mm, well this person needs a whole lot less this person Maybe they need a whole lot more mm-hmm. or this person can tolerate a lot, but wow, that other person can't tolerate anything. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything about yeah. them. It means that that's the capacity of their system in that moment. Or they can tolerate a lot, but do they have to? Correct. Exactly. What Story happens of when my they life. <laughs> right. <laughs> Type A. I, I get that. Right? You know, I went all in on yeah. all sorts of experiences and I chased the big experience for a long time. And mm-hmm. then I realized, hmm, I'm okay. I can do that, but what's really, what's, what is there really a benefit to this? Mm-hmm. And the more I focus on the subtlety, the more my range grows. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating. And there's another thing you were talk, kind of using you and Kevin as an example mm-hmm. of the differences between you two. Yeah. And there is a difference in the biochemistry of a man versus a woman, mm. right? And the, the differences in the way that our bodies respond to things or, and it may not, it may not be entirely based on gender, but there is a difference in the biochemistry mm-hmm. of the way we process experience. Yeah. Um, and then cultural traditions, right? Of course. Right. Cultural traditions really dictate men withhold that stuff because yeah. not, they're not encouraged to learn to process it. But when we get really quiet 
or slow down. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we have to move slowly, but when we're with ourselves mm -hmm. and we get used to being with the subtlety of ourselves, those things can emerge. Yeah. Women are more predisposed to that because mm -hmm. of the hormonal balance in mm -hmm. your bodies. It's just different than ours. But we, we as men, we can, we can connect to those things. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. We just have to pay attention in a different way. And that way. feels like a, like that could be a whole other conversation, but you know, for men's totally. work to, maybe it should be more about the quieting down versus the yelling and the rah, rah, like I, let's push the trauma to the surface and deal with direction. this. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's just a lot of brute force that I feel is unnecessary and leading us mm -hmm. in a, in a backwards direction. Mm -hmm. Um, when really the only way through is going inwards is being yeah. quieter, mm -hmm. simplifying, yeah. creating more spaciousness. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. At least that's what I've learned, you know, on my own journey from Same. having no space to creating space and mm -hmm. understanding that it's within that space that I get to experience the, the complexities of my emotional range. That's it. Yeah. Well, mystics everywhere mm -hmm. all around the world and all traditions at some degree or another, the the more uh, obscure mystics, what they talk about is that space. Mm. I love Alan Watts, his lecture around this, um, but it's like a, a clip of one of his lectures, and I wish I knew exactly which one it was so I could cite it here. But he talks about uh, being a musician. I understand this. You know, he doesn't say this specifically, but rest is also a note in music. Yeah, and rest mm. is the gap between mm -hmm. the notes. Without the gap between the words, there isn't a cadence to my speech and it just blends, mm -hmm. right? And without space between the notes, we just have one long tone, mm -hmm. right? But it's sound, silence, sound, silence. And the silence defines the sound. Yeah. Right. And, and we can take that and kind of apply that, that concept to the experience of being a human being and being alive. It's mm -hmm. in those moments of stillness in the space between the movement mm -hmm. when we really get to know the movement itself. Mm. Right. And so I think that it's imperative that men are able, men and women both, but if right. we're, you know, kind of talking about the masculine movement for a moment, that they're able to be with that they're, the cultivation of the stillness also cultivates the range and the ability to be in that more intense mm -hmm. part that comes more naturally to a man's body. Mm -hmm. right? We do need to lift and move heavy shit, you know, like yeah. that's just the thing we've got testosterone, you know, <laughs> like we need yeah. to be able to do that, but that's not all of it. Mm -hmm. And that's not the essence of what it is to be a man, you know, mm -hmm. that, that strength, it, it can show up in a lot of other ways. And we need that range because how else do we show up in partnership? Yeah. And able to hold a container for the the ocean that is mm -hmm. a, a woman's emotions, mm -hmm. right? Like we can't if we can't be with them in right. ourselves yeah. first. And I'm speaking specifically about masculine feminine right. dynamics here, but that, I think that applies to the way that that shows up in in same-sex partnerships too. Of course. Yeah, we need both. You mm -hmm. need we need the rest and we need the notes. Mm -hmm. And that is what helps us create even a, a deeper understanding of the emotional landscape. Absolutely. Um, 
it's interesting because in as a coach, you know, I'm a, I'm a classically trained coach under an ICF uh, mm-hmm. regulated school, and yeah, that's pretty r- rare nowadays. <laughs> I noticed that. You know, it's pretty wild. Yeah, like I had to go to a college <laughs> to <Same>. learn coaching, <laughs> and it was ICF regulated, which was kind of a pain in the ass because you had to follow all these rules, but. Yeah. It really taught me a lot. And one of the things that stuck with me was the power of silence. And very soon after becoming a coach, I was introduced to Rich Litvin. Mm -hmm. I believe it was his book I picked up first. Mm -hmm. And immediately after that, I started volunteering at his events. And then I worked from being like just a volunteer to being one of the group leaders. Mm. And so I would go to his events and and be the group leader because I had so much respect for that man. I've never seen someone hold such a long note of silence with clients and wait for, you know, the wheels to turn for them or just allow them to have their process. And I always felt like it was like watching a genius at work. And I got really comfortable in the spaces of silence with clients very early on. And I also noticed myself in the uncomfortable moments of silence where I felt like I needed to prove myself as a coach. Yeah. And I think that that's what coaching overall has become. It's become this, like, let me prove to you that I can fix you, I can heal you. I mean, this happens in the plant medicine space, too, in other areas of life and personal development. But we're seeing this happen more and more and less honoring of the spaces in which people really need in Mm -hmm. order to heal, Um, which leads me into the next part of the conversation, which I feel is so, so important Mm -hmm. because I was aware that there was a difference, but I wasn't conscious of what that difference was until I took the program. Mm -hmm. And that is the difference between being trauma aware, trauma informed Mm -hmm. and trauma trained. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's like, I knew it, but I, I, it was so nice to hear words put to it. And I really think that this is a conversation that needs to be had in any coaching program, yeah. in any form of facilitating, like if you're learning how to facilitate whatever it is, you need to understand the difference. Yeah. So let's talk about the differences. Yeah. Well, the average person is aware that trauma exists. Yeah. Right. We've read a book or <clears throat> we've heard somebody talk about, about having a bad experience or somebody in our life or in our periphery has experienced something mm-hmm. from trauma. We hear people talk about it in movies, but I'd say trauma where might even be just a little bit beyond that. It might be, I've read a book or two about it and Mm -hmm. I have a a sense that it's there. Or maybe we could say it's a gradient. Some people have heard the word trauma. Other people have read books about it. Yeah. Right. And that would be trauma aware. Like I know that this is a thing. Some people consider that trauma informed. Right. They, but we don't know what we don't know until we do. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's when we're in that not knowing and coming from good intentions that we accidentally create harm. Mm-hmm. And trauma informed is a big jump from that. It's really truly understanding the way the human body works, knowing what it looks like in an individual, especially for those of us who are helping professionals. We know, oh, that person's experiencing the symptoms of trauma. I, I know what the symptoms of trauma are. I know what they look like in their body. I know what they look like in my body. I know what to do right now. 
I know that that's a place that unless I'm extensively trained, I don't dig. Mm. Right. And no matter how good intentioned I am, mm-hmm. no matter how much I think I've been there before. Right. I don't go there because I respect the potency and the nuance of what might happen if I do. I recognize that, oh man, if I jump in there without the skills, it's like starting a fire but not being able to put it out. Yeah. And that could wreak havoc on that person's life. So I bring an element of care into the work that I'm doing with that individual. And I know essentially what we're talking about is knowing our scope mm-hmm. as practitioners and really understanding that as a coach, I, unless I have extensive trauma training, I'm not a trauma coach. Trauma yeah. coaches, like, no, that's. No, I disagree. I say that that's way outside of their scope mm-hmm. practice, which is funny because I'm a coach and I'm trained to work on trauma, yeah. but I've gone through extensive training to know how to do that. And I still only take specific cases, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I, I have a reverence for the power that's there in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point, I think that a lot of people, Internet marketing got involved in the coaching industry a while ago. It kind of took over. <laughs> and it did, yeah. Yeah. And internet marketers figured out that they could, what would be considered a consultant, could call themselves a coach and sell themselves as a coach, even though they're more of a teacher or a consultant, and they could make a bunch of money doing it. Mm-hmm. And so there are these internet marketers with no experience coaching, no understanding of how to lead a person through processes or work with the psyche or work with the body, going out there and claiming to be this thing because it's not regulated. Right? There's no regulation mm-hmm. around what it is and what it isn't. And you, anyone can be a coach. Just call yourself a coach. If you've done it before, you can help people mm-hmm. with those problems. Just take them through what you mm-hmm. did before. But what people don't realize is, The reason that there's a regulation around therapy is because of the nuance of what happens when we get in there and dig around. Yeah. Um, And individuals can have breakdowns and they can be, they can what we call decompensate. They can, things can get worse. They can become depressed. They can become suicidal. Um, And if you, if you don't know what you're doing, you don't know how to help. And you take a person into an into an experience or into a, a situation where they're overloaded and overwhelmed, and then you leave them. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many people come to me saying they've had these experiences mm-hmm. with people. So a trauma-informed practitioner really understands the nuance of that and knows how to steer around that mm-hmm. and how to create their marketing in a way that it, they're not using fear or shame mm-hmm. or judgment, rather, uh, or pressure. Mm-hmm. To push on somebody's wounding to get them to say yes. Yeah. That's just a form of manipulation. And a lot of people do it. I call it bro marketing. Bro marketing, totally. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah. yeah. And there's there's a there's a dissociation that, that a lot of people have to like the impact of their behavior. Mm. Right? It's like they're completely disconnected from any sense of responsibility for what they're doing. Yeah. And I think it's important that people learn about the impact of that. Not so that they'll feel bad, so that their behavior will change, so that they, there can be a bit of caring inside of them. So if we have these three stages, trauma-aware, trauma-informed, trauma-trained is extensive training. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a, a person who's really, they've not just gone to school, but done extensive hands-on training and consistently receiving supervision. And that's regular feedback from a highly trained professional 
that's helping them to analyze what they're doing, what they're doing well, what they're not doing well, and to learn how to do better. Mm-hmm. And that's the category I fall into. There are many people in the industry that claim to be trauma-informed that are not. Right. And Agreed. There are, and there are many trainings that are offered out there that they are, that claim to be offering trauma-informed training that aren't. Right. Um, and so it to offer this kind of a, an experience, it really requires the leader to embody these principles. Mm-hmm. I can teach information all day, but if I'm not embodying the things that I'm teaching you're not really learning what I'm teaching. You're learning how I'm behaving. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of coach trainings out there that the leaders are behaving one way and teaching their students to do something else. Oh, 100%. The Mm -hmm. dissonance is really thick. It is. And what do you think the students are going to do? They're going to do what they see. Yeah. Monkey see, monkey do. I mean, ultimately, that's Mm -hmm. how we learn. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to my mentors because they really embody the, the practices that they've you know, done their best to impart mm-hmm. on me. And in that, I'm able to emulate their behavior, not just the words. I'm able to learn the information, but it's the behavior that I want to learn to emulate yeah. more than anything else. And so watching them work has been transformational for me over the years. But we created the training because we realized there was this huge hole in the industry. Mm-hmm. Like People just didn't get it. Yeah, and they're selling themselves as offering these services. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times in of different forums and Facebook groups and other places, somebody will say, "I'm looking for a practitioner to help my friend who's dealing with this with trauma." And I can't tell you how many people raise their hands and yeah. say, "Oh, I can help," and they'll list their their credentials and their energy workers or their mm-hmm. coaches, and they don't have any training at all. No yeah. formal training at all. And they're meaning well. Mm-hmm. I told a story. I don't remember which interview it was in, but during an interview, I'll tell a little bit of the story mm-hmm. again here. I think I told the story during class. Um, mm. There was a woman that I worked with early on in my in my career, mm. and um, I took her into some really deep and intense places inside of herself. And I felt amazing. I thought I had done a great thing. I was so proud of myself. I even talked about it on social media. Mm-hmm. Like, and I used it to encourage people to come work with me. And it didn't help the woman. Now, in the long term, maybe. But I think, no. Instead, what it did was it sent her into a trauma, a trauma trigger. Like really deep in a spiral. And her body, her physiology didn't stabilize for a few months mm. after the experience. I thought I helped her. I was like, yes, I did the thing. She had a huge cathartic release. Mm. Release. Mm-hmm. I was chasing the release. I was chasing the emotional expression. She felt like she was having a ceremony. She got sick afterwards. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, I did the thing. No. And then it was too much for her. Mm-hmm. What I did was I took her into a state of too muchness, and I wasn't able to contain it. And I wasn't able to support her. Yeah. And so I tell that story as a warning to people who are good intentioned, who go in there thinking that they can help to trigger a person to healing. Yeah. And it's not through the triggering. It's through learning how to be in a triggered state and feel competent in our ability to be with the intensity of that. That doesn't happen by getting triggered again and by reliving our trauma. Mm-hmm. It happens by being able to tolerate bits 
and bits more and bits more and eventually do more. Yeah. But it'd be like asking somebody to go and to force them to deadlift 600 pounds or something like that. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you'd tear your body to pieces mm-hmm. or tell them that they have to hold this massive weight and that's how they're going to get stronger. Right. And it's not actually, it, we get stronger from incremental increases. Right. It's the best way that we can think about this. Yeah. Because the nervous system is infinitely more nuanced than the muscular, muscular right. system, right? But it functions the same way. It, it's like repeating the same uh, too much, too fast, too. That's it. It's just it, too much for the system yep. to handle in that moment. That's it. And the system, our bodies have really, really intelligent ways of like strategies for protecting us from the too muchness. Mm-hmm. And so as we get close to that feeling state, our body has defensive responses that are really intelligently preventing us from ever having to experience the mm-hmm. overwhelm again. Well, if we blast through those defenses without a way to, without the individual like, system being supported, we're right back into the same state again. Yeah. And it's too much. Mm-hmm. And here we are again with too muchness and then the response to that too muchness over time. Yeah. And that's what I've continued to observe in the coaching space because yeah. I, I do get a lot of clients. The ones I accept are the ones that usually experience some sort of trauma from usually a business coach who isn't really trained to listen to observe and this person is thrown into this traumatic state through whether it's like shaming from the coach because you're not getting it because you're not doing it my way or without even trying to understand why But complex cases I won't take on. I remember very early on in, in as a coach, very early on when my first like six month one-on-one clients. Um, and back then I was focusing on like self-love. I was helping women learn how to love themselves. That was my mm-hmm. primary focus. And that was what she came to me for. What she didn't tell me was that she had been bulimic for 19 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was completely unaware. Yeah. I also wasn't doing as in depth of an intake form as I now do. It's yeah. very extensive. Yeah. However, in our six months together, she gave me a card at the end of it. And still to this point, I didn't know about the bulimia. Mm. And she mailed me a card after experience and said, I am for the first time free of my bulimia. And it's wow. been 19 years. And I read the card and I was in shock. So I was like, wait, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that. Yeah. And holy shit, this could have gone like really bad. Yeah. But it didn't. So yeah. thank God. Yeah. But that experience alone taught me like, okay, better intake forms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ask more questions at the beginning to really gain a good understanding and yeah. like also understand why she wasn't able to share that with me. Yep. Um, everything to just help improve myself as a coach. Yeah. Uh, but I would also notice myself early on as a coach. I just want to help everyone. That's it. And I'm a former addict, so I can help addicts. Right. No, right. I can't. And I would never say yes to that. Yeah. But I was asked a lot. Yeah. And I was like, I, I know for a fact what I did isn't going to work for you yeah. because I have a totally different story. Yeah. I don't have a 10 step formula, right. Right. you know? Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people just they get caught in the idea of wanting to help people, but mm-hmm. also they get caught in the idea of claiming that they've helped people yeah. get through this. Like yeah. there's a, an ego thing yeah. and, 
And then social media doesn't help because everything has become overly dramatized yep. with the videos and reels that people show and mm-hmm. um, look at this breathwork experience with this client who's crying and bawling and having this super intimate experience with themselves and I'm mm-hmm. going to show it on social media. But yep. what happened afterwards? That's right. And, and was that... that. No, we don't, but we hear about it afterwards, as I'm sure you do. I have, yeah. People will come to me saying um, they're still dealing with the the aftermath inside themselves from experiences where they were pushed too hard or Mm -hmm. pushed too far, forced, I use that term loosely, but directed would be a better way of saying it, to relive their trauma. Mm -hmm. And exposure therapy was believed for a very long time to be the most effective treatment for trauma right and what for a long time for I a feel. long time yeah and still even today in some circles it's believed to be an effective treatment and it's not that i'm in disagreement entirely because somatic experiencing which is what i practice is a form of exposure therapy it's how we expose an individual to a memory of something that matters Mm -hmm. it's not whether we're gonna do it or not it's how we do it and that nuance is the most important part of it Mm -hmm. right because there have been people make the assumption like i said earlier that going into the thing or chasing one of the symptoms or one of the byproducts along the way is what's going to do this is what's going to cause yeah. the healing or help with the integration of that. But it's not really. And, and it's nuanced to, to the degree that we want to make sure the individual has the capacity, their body, not their mind. Mm-hmm. Like a person will tell you, I can do this. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to pay attention to whether their body can mm-hmm. or not. Right. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. learned that at the gym right. a few times. Right. <laughs> and the gym is a perfect way of explaining this yeah. because we can try to override with our mind, but our body is like, nope. Yeah. Or we end up hurting ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I've done that too. Yep. I can totally do this. I can do this. Oh, shit. I'm out for a week. Exactly. And I couldn't actually do it. Mm-hmm. Just because we think we can doesn't mean we can. And just because our clients think that they can mm-hmm. do the thing doesn't mean that they're ready. Yeah. And it's up to us to, uh, you know, adopt that Hippocratic oath of do no harm. Mm-hmm right to support an individual and that requires a massive amount of integrity or integrity defined as our willingness to to pay attention to what the individual in front of us needs and not what our agenda is yeah right and you know i think influencer marketing or the idea of there being an influencer role Mm -hmm. that's now considered a, a a form of an, like an employment status mm-hmm. influencer well that inherently unfortunately I mean has created people who do things for the response yes they do things for the gram That's they right. do things for the the immediate valid sense of validation for the instant gratification for the positioning for the optics for the perception numbers for the perception that's right so it's all part of creating an image and there are a lot of people that are really great at motivational speaking and creating Mm -hmm. images but it doesn't mean that those people that we see who are good with words are good at supporting yeah other individuals Um, and 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 oftentimes they're not yeah Um, but i think that you know, some of that has created the byproduct of these things. A hundred percent. 
I wrote about this coach in my book um, that I worked with that's more of an influencer. And mm. it was a very enlightening experience. <laughs> and I remember having missed calls on their part because they would forget or yeah. overbook. I remember promises that were not delivered. Mm -hmm. Um a lot of photo ops in in person but not a lot of depth yeah and i didn't want the photo ops i didn't sign a waiver i didn't like you yeah. didn't ask permission yeah and then i remember one of those photos being used as an ad mm. and i saw it on instagram and it was me and it's like one i didn't give you permission to take photos in our intensive which was yeah. just me two this was not a good experience for me yeah. i didn't leave feeling good about it yeah. i reached out to you about it and want to talk to you about it and you didn't reach out back, but you're going to use this photo yeah. of me and try and use our story to capitalize on your business. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to him immediately and I said, you and your team need to take this down mm -hmm. because this does not, this one, I didn't give you permission and two, it doesn't explain the whole situation. Yeah. I didn't have a good experience. That self-advocacy that you have, unfortunately, very few other, not everybody has. Put it that way. I totally recognize that. And unfor mm -hmm. and that's what I've seen in when people come yeah. to want to work with me. Same. They unfortunately, and mind you, a lot of these situations that they walk out of, whether it's a coaching group program or one-on-one -on -one yeah. dynamic, they didn't feel safe enough to yeah. express how they felt because, yeah. um, and I've heard this story more than once, someone being shamed in front of the group, That's right. yeah. you know, on a group call. And too. so not feeling safe enough to express how they really feel in, mm -hmm. in fear of being shamed again mm -hmm. or canceled. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard of, especially during the super, super polarizing times that came after 2020, mm -hmm. someone asking a question in a male coach's group and then being automatically kicked out for asking the question right? when it could have been discussion. And so mm. th there's like the, the re-traumatization and the, the, the ego led coaching, mm -hmm. which you then puts you in this position of being out of your scope of practice. But I've also noticed coaches, facilitators, practitioners, projecting their own traumas into mm -hmm. the spaces and containers that they hold. Yeah. Teal Swan's a good example of that. Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, the documentary. That, that could be a whole other. Oh, we could do a whole episode on that. <laughs> Let's just dissect this documentary. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I watched it and I just. It's hard to watch. Oh, it was really hard. Yeah. And the thing is, is that a lot of people do that. Yeah. I can, I, I can point at that one. And feel comfortable pointing at that one because enough other people have pointed at it already. Yeah. But I do know people who do things in similar ways where their interpretation becomes rule. Yes. And they tell people what they're experiencing instead of ask them mm. questions. And it's unfortunate because in that egotistical, well-intentioned, I think, I still think it's well-intentioned. hundred percent. But it's just ignorance and mm -hmm. that well-intentioned and ignorance they end up not doing the thing that they're setting out to do and they don't know any better mm -hmm. and so hopefully by talking more about it and by educating people we can help those people to learn and yeah. to know better um, because it's like 
I don't want to sit here and sound like I'm better than everyone else, right. more of just as a contrasting of what not to do and what in the direction to move towards, which yeah. is this, we have to change mm -hmm. to be able to be the kind of leader that can lead from that place of hum humility, yep. of curiosity. And when we get that feedback of this isn't working for me, really, really, really get our rightness and our defensiveness out of the way mm -hmm. so that we can truly hear it and go, wow, this isn't working for you. I thought it would work. Okay. Mm -hmm. What do you need? Yeah. Like really hear that kind of negative feedback mm -hmm. of like, I really didn't like that experience. Like I've had clients that have said, well, I really didn't like that. Thank you so much for telling mm -hmm. me. What do you need instead? Mm -hmm. Like, I want to know. Yeah. You know, because that's how we maintain the relational connection. And here we go again with a therapeutic concept that would be really useful for coaches to learn, mm -hmm. which is attachment. Mm -hmm. Right. And attachment really, just to sum it up for the listener, it's, it just signals or signifies how we bond with each other. Mm -hmm. Like there's an attachment between you and me. Mm -hmm. And it's important that, well, it's useful, maybe not important, but useful for me to understand that that's real and that that exists and that I have an influence over that. Yeah. And if I do something that causes some sort of rupture to that, that I can also do something to create a repair. Mm -hmm. And when we're not trained to notice those things, we don't notice them. Mm -hmm. And we're not working to create some sense of relational safety. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of people that say that this is a safe space. Yeah. Too many. <laughs> too many. But, you know, for the person that's really defensively oriented to the world, traumatized, um, this is a safe space sounds threatening. Mm -hmm. You know, using those words instead of creating that kind of a space sends the signal to an individual that it's not safe. Right. And it's like when you walk into a room and there's something about that room that immediately helps you feel safe mm -hmm. versus when you walk into a room and there's a person at the in that room saying, this is a safe room, mm -hmm. but you don't actually immediately feel safe in yeah. your body. Yeah. You know, and it, it's been interesting because the safe space conversation popped up a lot after 2020 i think it was through the blm movement yeah. the safe spaces and yeah. that conversation and there is no safe place or there is um, that whole that whole conversation in itself is nuanced as well um it is yeah we cannot control how safe someone feels that's right in a space we can do our best to create what feels safe mm -hmm. But a lot of that is also the embodiment of the work. That is right. We can take steps to engender um, an environment of safety, but we cannot create safety. No. And especially for an individual that just inherently feels like there's a threat all the time. Yeah. We just can't, we can't do something about that. We can be sensitive to it though, mm -hmm. right? It's like the both and. Yeah. And it's like, well, I can be sensitive to the difficulty that the individual in front of me is experiencing and I can recognize it and I can take steps to repair ruptures or micro ruptures that occur. And I'm also not responsible for their feeling of fear. Mm -hmm. I'm responsible for my behavior mm -hmm. with that. 
Yeah. Right? And, and I can so notice nuanced. it in That's them. It. Like yeah. I can be responsible for noticing. That's right. Right. Well, yeah. and when we're facilitating group experiences, we can be paying attention to everyone in the room. And the person that looks like they're having a hard time, we can create a moment to support that person mm-hmm. without calling them out. Yep. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Which is often not what happens. You need to confront the thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not that way. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe not in front of everybody. Yeah. Maybe in a soft way that mm-hmm. engenders that sense of like, oh, I can relax the defensiveness in me. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I can confront the thing that's there. Mm-hmm. But as long as the defensiveness is there, there's no way that we can confront the thing. Yeah. It's interesting because when I first started sitting in, in ayahuasca ceremonies, mm-hmm. I was sitting in more of the neo-shamanistic type circles where, mm-hmm. you know, someone, everyone's kind of free to f- express themselves but uh, I would often feel impacted by someone else's expression. Mm-hmm. And it would just create this really weird dynamic in the ceremony space where now I'm not able to drop in or other people are being impacted. And there's this one person or two people and everything's trying to be held in the space. Yeah. And then I sat in the Shipibo way and I noticed how in Peru in the Shipibo way, if someone is actually like really going through it, the master will will want them removed and then have send someone to work with them mm-hmm. and chant to them. Yeah. But like remove from the space so they can actually get their attention and the prayer and the ikaros and it's not disrupting the rest of the space. And I remember the first time seeing that and I was like, wow, this actually feels safer. <laughs> right, because people aren't pretending like it's not happening. Yes. They're they're handling it. Right. It's like, oh, you're no- you noticed that. It wasn't just me that noticed that. Great. Somebody else is paying attention. So yes. I don't have to. Yeah. And that <laughs> that we see that in like the group, other type of group facilitations, mm-hmm. uh, events. Yeah. You know, when someone has, has a very triggered experience at an event, because it can happen yep. at any type of personal development event. Like yep. just because the exercises seem a little vanilla, like doesn't mean it's not going to impact someone else in the room in a really traumatizing way a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff can come out or activating even it may not even be traumatizing it might just be super activating but it could be traumatizing yeah not not to say it's not but just recognizing that in those moments we want to attend to that person Mm -hmm. right it um it just reminds me of last cohort of trauma somatics we had um there was a a point where somebody was just really feeling intensely Mm -hmm. during one of the the classes and i paused and i attended to it Mm mm-hmm and I made space for that person and I made time for them. And I listened and I asked questions and I was mm-hmm. with them. We were with them as a class. We didn't just ignore it. Mm-hmm. We didn't just leave it happening in the background where yes. everybody could see that it was yeah. happening, but didn't talk about it. We attended to it. Mm-hmm. And I think those little moments make all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. They, that'll change somebody's experience. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, the facilitator's paying attention. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is facilitation, right? Yeah, we're we're not facilitating an like the facilitating an experience kind of. There's a workshop. I'm the facilitator, but really, I think what a lot of people think that they are is the motivational speaker. Yes, a hundred percent. I remember when I was doing my three day events in L.A., and it was the first event. I did the first year, year one, and it was my mm. first time doing it. And it was a hundred people in the room, and I was just like, "Okay, this here we go, here, here we, we go,", go right. you know. And there were there was a, there were a few people that were having moments, mm-hmm. and there was one in particular, and I was like, 
this this needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit into the schedule, but fuck the schedule. Right. And so I called a, an extended break mm-hmm. and tended to her yeah. myself. I made sure my, that my team were aware of her, yep. um, allowed her the space to really express what she was feeling and experiencing, yeah. gave her options. Yeah. Uh, and that's what felt right and in integrity for me. Mm-hmm. And sure, my flow was a little disrupted. And sure, the schedule was pushed and mm-hmm. off. But it didn't feel right to do it yeah. differently. Yeah. Yeah, because in that moment, that's what mattered. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the thing. It's like, are you willing to shove aside your expectations or you had said your agenda mm-hmm. enough to... Really look at the people that you're serving. Yeah, and that's it. And for us as practitioners, in every moment that we're with a client, learning that sense of flexibility is Mm. essential, I believe, because, you know, that's what makes, to reference your, the name of what you do, that's what makes our leadership potent. Yeah. Right. It's, it's what brings that potency to it. It's this moment requires me to set aside any agenda that I had for my client's experience or expectation of an outcome and really just be with what's here. Be with what's present. Mm -hmm. And so what I've done is I've made that my agenda now. Mm -hmm. My agenda is simply to be with what's here. Now I may have an idea of what I want to do with an individual. I may have a plan or an arc that I want to create in the work with them. Mm -hmm. But in the moment I'm flexible Mm -hmm. because if I'm not that rigidity can lead to something unplanned or unnecessary. Happening. A thousand percent. And that's not even like how coaching works. Yet no. a lot of people think, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's interesting cause I'll, I'll get clients, you know, I'll be on a possibility session with them just mm-hmm. exploring mm-hmm. the possibility of working together. And they'll be like, Hey, so how does this work? What's the flow? Right. What can I expect? And I'm like, you're going to lead the calls. Yeah. You're going to lead the sessions. Yeah. We'll have intentions we can have a goal mm-hmm. and session to session, it's going to flow yeah. with whatever is present. And that's what coaching is. I mean, but you and I went to through a traditional coach training right. and a lot of coaches have never been through a tra- traditional coach training. Right. So they don't even understand the method of asking questions that's and the giving thing. space. Instead they're, they're teachers or they're consultants, mm-hmm. advisors, advisors, or they're just a human being trying to prove themselves. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> check, check, check. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we've been talking about the, the being in it so much, and this is a topic that is so near and dear to me because when I first, when I first embarked on my journey to sobriety, it had been a long time that I'd been numbing my emotions. And I remember immediately without these coping mechanisms, no drugs, no alcohol, all I could do was feel. And I would be so overwhelmed yeah. after decades of, of numbing mm-hmm. that, um, and this happened after my marriage with Kevin, I became mm-hmm. sober. And there would be days he'd come home from work and he'd find me just starfished laying on the carpet in our room. Yeah. Because that's all I knew to do mm-hmm. in that moment. Because I'd so overwhelmed. Yep. So I would just lay down and I didn't want to think my way through it. Mm-hmm. I would just experience it yeah. and feel it. And it would eventually move through me. Yeah. But that taught me the power of being 
with things because I was raised in a home where we weren't allowed to freely express sadness or grief, but we were allowed to express anger and rage. And uh, there's a lot of force that comes with that. And that was a lot of the energy in, in my being for a long time. Whereas feeling and being it's like uh, to someone who's so used to moving all the time, it, feels deeply uncomfortable yeah and it triggers the this is not safe right response in our bodies and that's the thing um a lot of coaches think that they can work with addiction but um maybe some of them are qualified to do so but right. i think that the, what might be missed oftentimes is just how significant the individual is going to start feeling just just how significant the feelings will be mm-hmm. i guess is what i want to say like yeah. Everything that we've been turning away from and avoiding is there right under the surface. Yes. As soon as the body thaws from all of the numbing mm-hmm. that we've been doing, whether it be a stimulant or a sedative, doesn't matter, right? It's still blocking our ability to feel. But as soon as that feeling starts coming back, we need to have some sort of strategy or some sort of technique, some sort of something and a context to hold it Mm -hmm. so that we can get through it because man, it's going to come back and we're going to have to feel the things Mm -hmm. that we haven't been feeling. Mm -hmm. And so we need to know how to softly move through like into the intensity of that. Mm -hmm. And it's best to have support going through those things. Some of us like you and like me went through a lot of that on our own, Yeah, but um, it's still best to have support there. Yeah. Like I remember I, stopping using substances and just how much I had to feel too. Yeah. I was almost a hundred pounds heavier and I shed a bunch of weight pretty mm-hmm. quickly after I let myself really begin to feel. Yeah. Um, so, so much of that was me like the, my body hanging on to all of that. Yeah. There's a, a gentleness that isn't always present when we first start to feel. No, but once we start to learn to feel, it mm-hmm. actually feels like a much gentler approach than forcing the emotion. Oh my god! Through. Seriously, um, like to force myself. I mean, I'm all for a rage room. Mm-hmm. I think they're great. <laughs> I think it can be great to express. <laughs> right. I think expressing emotions is great, and I think that there's an importance to being with the emotion. I yes. think that's very, very important. Um, there was uh, one time I was co-facilitating a a ceremony and organizing Mm. and one of the people who wanted to come join she had asked me specifically she's like okay so you say it's shapibo style so that does that mean that i'm not allowed to express myself because i really like to be super vocal in my ceremonies and i was like this is not the ceremony for you then yeah like and and i you know I, i tried to talk to her to she wasn't my client, but just to mm-hmm. see like, what is the need to express in such a vocalized way? Mm-hmm. Most people feel the need to do that. In my personal observation, mm-hmm. most people feel a need to do that because they have felt stifled of their expression. But beyond that and a layer deeper mm-hmm. is they're actually stifled of the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that there's a place for expressing and there's a much needed place for being with the emotion. Yeah. And I feel like that's the work that is yeah. not being done enough yeah, in this le- space. Learning to modulate. Yeah. Right. And it's 
So there are sometimes people who are repressed, I may invite them to express. Mm. But sometimes people who are very expressive, I might invite them to express less. Yeah. Right. And what we're looking for is a middle ground somewhere, somewhere in between because right, there's no prescriptive one way, right? Expression can be helpful, but it can also be the thing that prevents us from really feeling what's beneath it. Mm-hmm. Like in, um, in Raja Selvam's book, um, the practice of embodying emotions. And he's created a whole model around this for chasing that big expression. It's, it's, that's not going to do the thing that we think it's going to do. Mm-hmm. There was, um, when all of this was going down with my dog last year, uh, I actually, this was before that. And I was doing a lot of work around my family constellations. And one of my friends who's in this work of, of coaching had said, I think you like really need to express rage. And I was like, huh? And I'm always curious. Like I always feel like, uh, open to hearing what people observe of me. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay. And she said, I can hold some space for you. And, and I went to her house and um, she had me go through some practices and there was no rage. I mm-hmm. couldn't find it. I couldn't channel it. It wasn't mm-hmm. present. And the m- more she tried to like push it out of me, the more disconnected I felt from her and the more I wanted to leave. Yeah, Because what, I realized after that experience what really needed to be expressed and what I was really trying to tap into was grief. Yeah. And to be witnessed in my grief yeah. because that's something I hadn't had. Yeah. And so something that the trauma somatics program really taught me is that ability to observe not just what is coming out of someone's mouth, but what is their body speaking. That's right. Because the body is always telling us more. And, um, you know, I could, I could, prior to this training, I could notice if a, if a client was like on guard, defensive or down, but now there's like all these different nuanced expressions that I can notice. Mm -hmm. I actually find myself more exhausted after a coaching session now, because I feel (laughs) like now I'm firing up so much more and I'm noticing and observing so much more, but it's also really powerful in that now I feel that I can hold better space and Mm -hmm. have a better understanding of my scope of practice and what's within my scope and my realm of work and what's not and when Mm. to keep, but when to keep asking questions and Mm -hmm. when to just put on the brakes and let it be. Which yes. is important. Sometimes we may want to stimulate something, but we want to know why we want to do that. Yes. Right. And we want to know, like, well, what is it in this moment that tells us that that's the, the best thing for the individual mm-hmm. in front of us? And in the beginning of learning how to track an individual, I was more tired too because I was doing more. Yeah. But the doing becomes background, mm-hmm. kind of like driving a car. Yes. Driving a car is a perfect example. Like we start driving and we're like thinking about everything. I'm like, uh, the speed, yeah. the mirror, the mirror, the mirror, the brake, yeah. the gas, all the, the, mirrors, the gas, all, all the, the things. mirrors, all yeah. the, is the cars nearby. Am I, where am I in the lane? Yeah. But eventually now I'm driving. I'm not thinking about any of those things. Yeah. I'm like thinking about what I got to do later. Um, you know, yeah. talking on the phone, having a conversation, it becomes diffused awareness, yeah. but it's still there. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's the same way I think with this work, mm-hmm. you know, to that kind of circling back around to that, that thought about yeah. emotional regulation, you know, 
oftentimes underneath that like intense emotional expression is something else. Yeah. Somebody that's in that habit of expressing really big all the time. Oftentimes that's the barrier. It's the strategy to prevent the thing mm-hmm. from being felt. I had this client once and, um, we would get to a certain point in some of the somatic type work that we were doing and the tears would show up mm-hmm. and it was the same sequence every time. And I would recognize the sequence and we just, we let the sequence play out over and over again for a period of time for it was a couple months of our work together. Mm-hmm. And then finally I had them in town for an intensive and while they were, here i said what if you resisted the tears Mm. this isn't a cue that i'm always going to give somebody right but for this particular individual the tears prevented that activation cycle from really finishing what it needed to do Mm -hmm. and by resisting the tears something magical happened something new happened they access this totally different layer of emotional experience Mm. and their capacity to be with themselves just grew And it was a really beautiful experience. Raja talks about some of this in an mm-hmm. example in his book, which is why I mentioned it earlier. But the the act of knowing when to intervene is so paramount to the person's experience mm-hmm. and knowing when to resist something versus when to stimulate it. Yeah. Like, man, it makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with coaching, right? Knowing when to ask the question and when to wait. Mm-hmm. And when to let that silence just echo. Yeah. I learned how to do that early on too Mm -hmm. because of coaching and Rich's work and just watching Mm -hmm. him work was phenomenal. And that, that gap, like if we can feel settled Mm -hmm. in ourselves in that it's even better. Yeah. Because just, just waiting. It creates an opening. Yeah. Yeah. And the mind will run and then maybe there's awkwardness. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's discomfort. But then something shows up. Always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I've brought that practice into my combo facilitation. Oh, but that's great. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've seen all sorts of things happen in the medicine space. Like, may mm. I put hands on? May I do this? Yeah. May I sing to you? And all the things. And I just stay super hyper aware, mm. observe the client. And I always tell them before we begin, I'm following you. If you yeah. want to speak, I will speak. If you want to engage with me, I will engage with you. Yeah. But if you want to sit in silence, I will sit in silence with you. And that's it. We have agreements at the beginning. If Mm -hmm. you want me to touch you, you just let me know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I find that it allows for much deeper work for them because I am not interfering with their process. Yeah. You know, it's just like what we were saying about coaches having an agenda. You could have an agenda. You could have an expectation of how you want a session to go, how you want a ceremony Mm -hmm. to go as the facilitator, as the coach. Right. But that may actually impede the actual client's experience. Yeah, exactly. And the journey that they're on. Yeah. And we don't want to do that. Yeah. And I think really good coaching, the coach does very little. Like we just ask a few questions. They take the lead. That's right. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) But it's harder than it looks because of the human ego. Right. And that we we want to help. Mm -hmm. We want to serve. 
We mm-hmm. want to prove ourselves, validate ourselves, validate our skills as a coach, Absolutely. validate our worth as a human being for being able to help this person achieve X, Y, Z. It's one of the reasons why it requires, doesn't require, but it's best if uh, supporters have support and somebody mm-hmm. that can really supervise them. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that therapy gets right. You know, mm-hmm. they required supervision and I'm so grateful that I have a potent mentor who reflects mm. to me the things that I really need to hear most mm-hmm. and sometimes don't want to listen to. Yeah. You know, but he's willing to offer me those reflections mm-hmm. and you've got to look at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially because clients aren't always going to tell you. They're not. No. Yeah. No. But that supervision, it's invaluable to us because it, well, one, it teaches me humility it gives me the opportunity to practice humility rather. Um, and I choose to practice that. I choose to say, you know what? You're right. There's no reason for me to argue mm-hmm. with that. I know it's true. It's true. Yes. I don't like that that happens, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Right? I could be honest about myself, but two, I then learned to analyze myself in a brand new way. Yeah. Right. And that means that I can grow and I can help mm-hmm. people in a greater way. Like mm-hmm. that, that changes the impact that, that I'm going to have. And so in a way I like to play this little game with my ego where it's like, well, you really want to do a good job, get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I can I'm like, okay, well do best by getting out of the way. Mm. Um, but I can still use my mind against my mind, but not really against my mind to support my mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> And having that awareness to be able to do that is super important too. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, having the willingness and the humility. But I think humility is a really great skill mm-hmm. that we can learn, especially in this profession, mm-hmm. right? It, when I'm humble, I can really learn and grow. When we're humble, we remain curious. It's, we do. it's like the, I know what I know, I know what I don't know, and I don't know what I don't know. Right. And, and I live by that. And I want to learn what I don't mm-hmm. know if I can at all possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it creates better spaces. It creates better service. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We are nearing the end of this episode, but I feel like we could riff forever. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I would love to just have you share a potent truth, something that you mm. want our viewers and our listeners to to really take home and take to heart mm. about everything we've talked about. Well, one of the things that I one of the points that I like to drive home is that healing happens in connection mm-hmm. and it happens across time, but it's not just healing integration, change, any of those things. They happen as a result of connective experiences and they happen across a period of time. Mm-hmm. Change takes time. There's no quick fix to things. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's something that takes us time. Mm-hmm. It's taken us a long time to become who we are. Mm-hmm. And our body, it's the conduit for us to experience all of life. Mm-hmm. And when we can become connected to ourselves, whether that be well, in connection to ourselves being our sensations, our emotions, our thoughts, right? Our sense of being alive, mm-hmm. something magical happens. Mm. And the deeper I can, I can move into that in, in myself and the deeper you move into yourself, 
the more likely it is that we're going to connect mm -hmm. and the more present I can be with you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for, for being here mm -hmm. today, for being present, for, yeah. for being someone who inspires me and, mm -hmm. um, for creating trauma and somatics. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for sharing your experience. Yeah. And thanks for having me here. And it's been so much fun. We've got so much in common on these, these topics, Ruby. I love these, these conversations. Same. Yeah. More to come. More to come. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for another episode of Potent Truth, where I am leading you on a journey to challenge illusion and lead with sovereignty. If you enjoyed this episode with Will, you are probably ready to deepen your understanding of trauma. I highly recommend joining the next Trauma and Somatics cohort with Will Reason and Oriana Joy. Head to www.traumaandsomatics.com for more information. And of course, if you want to deepen your work with Potent Leadership, grab a copy of my book at potentleadership.com. You can also download Potent Leadership on Audible. Make sure you download a few episodes of Potent Truth and drop a rating and review on iTunes and on Spotify. You can also connect with me and Will on social media. My handle is at I am Ruby and you can find Will on IG at Will Reason and at Trauma and Somatics. Those links and more will be in the show notes. If you want to stay in touch via text, just text hashtag Potent Truth to 1781336-0160 and you'll start receiving weekly potent reminders from me. Thank you so much for being part of the Potent Truth movement. Make sure you check back on Monday for a brand new episode of Potent Truth. Aho leaders.